All right, uh, we are going to continue studying the book of John. If you've got a Bible, open up to John chapter 14. Last week we began our sermon series called A Glorious Farewell. I didn't come up with that. Daniel Poulain, our director of creative arts, came up with that. So good job, Daniel. A glorious farewell. Uh, and we're, we're drawing on Jesus' farewell instructions to his disciples in John chapter 14, uh, verses 14 through 17. I'm sorry, chapters 14 through 17. And there Jesus starts giving his disciples some instruction for his departure. Uh, and last week you looked at the triumphant truths that he gives them to calm their troubled hearts when he leaves. Uh, in, in, we looked at 14, 1 through 3, and what we learned was that Jesus has secured an eternal home for us with the Father, so that when we pass away, or when he returns, we will be with him, and we will experience the Father's presence. Um, though our future in this life may seem uncertain, our heavenly home is not. Jesus has secured that. He has prepared that, and it is ready for us. And so that gives us peace and security right now. This week, we're going to examine two more triumphant truths, um, and we're going to pray that God will give us peace through those truths. If you're a young listener out there, youngins, let me give you three things you can listen for, okay? A story about a baby whale, the difference between Christianity and other religions, and a new word for peace. A story about a baby whale, the difference between Christianity and other religions, and a new word for peace. So let's uh, begin by reading God's word. This is going to be John chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you'd have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and that is enough. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or else, believe on account of the works themselves. This is God's word. Last year... Uh, during the shelter in place and the shut in and all that stuff, I began reading some classic books because what else was I going to do? Baseball season was canceled and a lot of, and everything else was canceled. So I started reading some classics and one of the classics I picked up was Moby Dick by Herman Melville. Now, if you're interested in reading Moby Dick, let me caution you. Okay. You've got to wade through the 19th century language, uh, run on sentences galore, and Melville's tangents on all things whaling, okay? But other than that, it's a pretty fascinating book. As you can imagine, it's been a classic for, you know, 100 plus years now. Uh, the story is about uh, Captain Ahab, and he has a monomaniacal obsession 
with a whale, a violent, massive whale named Moby Dick. And so uh, Ahab is on this quest to kill Moby Dick because Moby Dick ate his leg. All right? So um, uh, there's a chapter in the book where Ahab and his ship, they are, uh, of course, they're searching for Moby Dick, and they spot a pod of whales. So their ships take off. They go for the pod of whales. They finally catch the whales. And when they catch the whales, the whales form circles in the water, like inner, inner rings uh, of these whales to protect themselves. Well, there's fighting, there's chaos, they're trying to harpoon the whales. In the midst of all that chaos, Ishmael, who's the narrator of the book, and one of the whalers, his boat gets pushed to the center of the rings. And when he gets to the center of the rings, he finds out in the center, it's calm. And when it's calm, he looks down, and what does he see as he peers down into the depths of the sea? He sees a mother whale nursing her calf. And as he watches this mother whale nursing her calf, he notices that the calf, in his words, opened his eyes and peers up at him like he's a bit of gulf weed. And in that moment, Ishmael says he longs for the peace, the calm, and the joy that that baby whale experienced. I think a lot of us are like Ishmael in that boat. Our hearts are troubled by the chaos and confusion and violence going on all around us. And what we really want is to be like that baby whale. Peaceful, calm, protected, nursing, satisfied. At peace. Uh, Well, tonight, as we look at this passage, uh, what I want you to see is this. Jesus is the way to peace because he takes us to the Father of peace. Jesus is our way to peace because he takes us to the Father of peace. When we draw near to our Heavenly Father by faith in Jesus Christ, the Father will calm and quiet our souls. In his glorious farewell, Jesus says in John 14, 27, that he wanted to give his disciples peace. And so, as we meditate on this text tonight, no matter what chaos or confusion or trouble you're experiencing right now, I pray that the Holy Spirit would give us all peace and we draw near to the Father through this passage. So we're going to look at two things. The first thing is we're going to see that Jesus has shown us the way to the Father. And the second thing is that Jesus has shown us the Father. The first thing is Jesus has shown us the way to the Father. So um, after Jesus tells the disciples that he's going to go to prepare a place for them, he reassures them that they know the way to the place. And Thomas, who's, who's brutally honest and humble, says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Now, let's assume he he at least heard Jesus say, I'm going to the Father. Thomas is saying, I don't know where the Father lives. I don't know where you're going. How can I find someplace if I don't even know where it is? What's the route? What's the direction? And what Jesus says in their confusion is one of the most pregnant self-disclosures that he gives of himself in all the scriptures. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. And the book of John records Jesus giving seven I am statements. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection. I'm the vine. I'm the I am that existed before Abraham. And I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, what is he saying when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life? Well, first, let's notice what he's not saying. He's not saying, I know the way, or I came to show you the way, or I came to teach you the way. He says, I am the way, right? I am the one and only route to the Father. Then notice that he doesn't say, he says, uh, I am the truth. He doesn't say, I know the truth, or I can teach you the truth, or I can show you the truth. He says, I am the truth. I am the revelation of truth itself. I'm the revelation of the Father. I'm the revelation of of creation. And and as uh, we're going to look at later, I'm the logos. I'm the word by which everything is created. I am truth. And notice he doesn't say, I, um, he says, I am the life, right? He's not just truth, this sort of like abstract or stoic or passionless. He, he says, I am the life. He is, he's the energy source. He is, he's vital and vibrant, right? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, all right? He is saying that he is um, everything that we need to get to the Father, to know him, and to experience him. And this is one of the things that makes Christianity different than every other world religion, every worldview, every perspective, right? Is that um, everything else says, right, that it's going to give us a path to live down or a path to walk down or knowledge to know or facts or information to know or something to consume to get life. And Christianity is the only religion, the only worldview that gives us a person, calls us to believe in a person. This person is the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, One scholar said it like this, and I think he put it so well that I'm just going to share what he said. He says, The East perennially longed for the way, or the Tao. The West longed for the truth, or the veritas, And the whole world, east, west, north, and south, longs for the real life. Jesus is in person all three. His person, life, teaching, deeds, death, and resurrection show us the way to the truth of the living God. His reality, historicity, and death give us a solid assurance that his way is the true way or the truth. And his energy supplied by the Holy Spirit gives us the life and the power to believe this truth and walk this way. The way, the truth, and the life are not three abstract things in the gospel. They are a single person. Jesus has shown us the way to the Father. He's shown us the way to eternal security, and it's him. It's receiving him and resting in him and believing in him. And it's this triumphant truth that will give us peace when our hearts are troubled. Like I said last week, uh, life is chaotic 
It's confusing. It's frustrating. Uh, at times, it feels hopeless and meaningless. Um, one of my friends uh, sent me some information this week, and it was a survey of, of thousands of students. Uh, I think it was 2,000 students. And the overwhelming majority, something like 80% of them, said that they were hopeless. Um, it's times like this that we feel like uh, Macbeth's words must seem true. Macbeth, in Macbeth it says, Life is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Well, Jesus tells us right here in this passage that that's not true. That there is purpose, that there is meaning, that there is hope, and it's in him. And he calls us not to let our hearts be troubled, but to believe in him, believe that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And to every day cling to that truth. Now, for some of us, that may be a radical shift from how we normally lived. Right? To say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life may be a shocking shift. And I had a, spirit, a student like that whenever I was at OSU. His name was Shuvradeb. Shuvradeb was from India, and Shuvradeb grew up Hindu. He came to the States as a graduate student, and he believed that there were thousands of gods, all equal, but all important. And then he came to OSU, and somebody handed him a tract about Jesus. And he started meeting with that person and talking about the Bible. And then one day he was at the Colvin Recreation Center and one of my students was deadlifting an insane amount of weight. And he walked up to one of my students and said, how do you deadlift that much weight? And Levi said, well, let me show you. And they struck up a conversation. And Levi invited him to RUF. And he came to RUF and he began worshiping Jesus. And he began studying the scriptures and he began examining the truth claims of Jesus. And after about a year... He said, this verse changed his entire outlook on life. He believed that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life, and he left his Hindu religion and became a Christian. He saw that Jesus was unique and Jesus was exclusive, but that Jesus was indeed the way, the truth, and the life. So for Shubhradev, it was a dramatic change. For us, it may be much different. Right? Some of us have grown up in church our entire lives, and we memorized this verse in Awanas, and we've uh, recited this verse a thousand times. Yet, every morning, Satan, sin, and the world tempts us to wake up and reject this truth. We're tempted to wake up and think that my way is the right way, that my truth is the right truth. And that I can find life in all these other things. And when we seek other ways, other truths, and other lives, what does that cause? It causes anxiety and despair and frustration and chaos in our souls. And so what we do every day is we wake up and we reboot the gospel in our hard drive to say, no, Jesus is my way. Jesus is my truth. Jesus is my life. That's where I find my peace and comfort, and hope. So Jesus shows us the way to the Father. He is the way, the truth, and the life. But it's, and it's drawing close to the Father that brings us peace, because what we see in the Scriptures is that the Father is a Father of peace. He's a Father that wants to bring peace on earth. Okay? So the second thing we see in the passage is that Jesus has shown us the Father. 
right? So Jesus tells them that he's the way, the truth, and the life, right? And he says, if you see me, you've seen the Father. And he has this really interesting exchange with Philip where Philip says, but just, just show us the Father. All we need to see is a glimpse of the Father. And Jesus is so sad because he says, Philip, you've been with me the whole time. How do you not know the Father? How have you not seen the Father in me? And I think this is a great, great challenge and encouragement to us who have been in the church for a long time. And that is, we can never be content with just knowing facts about Jesus. We can't stop with just knowing facts about Jesus. Jesus is there to lead us into intimacy with the Father. He's there to show us the Father. And so when our hearts are troubled, now is not the time just to be content with information. Now is the time to press in and draw near to the Father through Jesus. And Jesus explains why we can see the Father through him in verses 10 and 11. And he he plunges us into the mystery of the Trinity. Look back at verses 10 and 11. He says, Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Jesus is saying, he's not only shown them the way to the Father, but he has shown them the Father. And he's pushing Philip and the disciples and us into the deep end of the depths of the mysteries of God. He is is confronting us with the reality of the Trinity. The Trinity is the foundational piece of Christianity. It's the starting point. Without the Trinity, you have no gospel, right? Christians believe in one God that exists eternally in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That God, God himself is the Father loving the Son through the Spirit, that they existed before anything else would create it in perfect peace and harmony and love. And when the Son came to the earth and put on flesh and become a man, he didn't give up his deity and he didn't give up his divine attributes. He gave up the privileges of glory to come and rescue us. And the entire time he was here on earth, through his divine nature, he was so utterly dependent on the Father that every word that he spoke and every deed that he did was the Father's words and the Father's deeds. He revealed the Father to the world in a way that we could never see without him. And John explains that for us at the beginning in John 1, in the prologue which really is is an introduction to the entire gospel of John. John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. Jesus revealed the Father. All the works and the words of Jesus reveal him. In John, 
John gives us an interesting revelation of, of Jesus and the Father. It's different than the, the synoptics, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. What John does is John highlights seven signs and the teachings that go with him. And these are the seven signs. Uh, Jesus turns water to wine. He heals an official son. He heals a lame man. He feeds the 5,000. He walks on water. He heals a blind man. And he raises Lazarus. And if what Jesus is saying about his revelation, each of those seven things teaches us something about the Father. Now, uh, there's a lot we could say, right? That reveals a lot, and I don't have time to go through all that. I wish I did, but Steve preached a bunch of sermons on us. If you want to go back and review all those, then you can listen to Steve's sermons. But I want to just show you one thing I think that, that it reveals about the Father, and that's this. Among many things, it, re- it reveals the Father came to restore shalom. Shalom is the Old Testament word for peace. It means completeness, soundness, and well-being. Jesus came to make this world whole and complete again. And all of his miracles point to the wholeness, the completeness, the shalom that he came to bring. There are signs that point to the messianic age that came to bring physical and spiritual wholeness. So if Jesus reveals the Father and Jesus' signs come to show that God came to bring shalom and peace to the earth, then we know that the Father wants to bring shalom. The Father wants to bring wholeness and wellness, peace and completeness to every facet of this world. And he is willing to go to whatever lengths it takes to make it happen. And it culminates in the greatest sign, and that's the sign on the cross. That Jesus Christ, who was the way, died on the cross to pay for our sins, to pave the way to the Father. Jesus Christ, who was the truth, was betrayed by lies and condemned by false witnesses to die on a cross to rescue us, to bring peace. Jesus Christ, who was life in and of himself, died. He gave his life for our life. He was the way, the truth, and the life to bring peace and wellness to this role in a way that we could never do on our own. So that by believing in him, we would have peace with God and our sin would be removed and we would never be enemies of God again. And that through that peace that we experience with God, that we would have inner peace, that we'd have calm, that we'd have a quieted and contented heart. And that from the peace with God and the peace within us, that we would go out and we would be peacemakers in the world. And by the Holy Spirit, we would extend God's peace and we would bring God's shalom to the world. Through the person and work of Jesus, God was restoring this world to what it was supposed to be, a world of peace, a world that was whole and complete. And it's the Spirit's power that does that in our hearts, and it does it in this earth. Now, I can think of a lot of things that our world needs right now. One of the first things that comes to mind is peace. Peace. Sin has divided our churches, our 
communities, our country, our neighborhoods, our homes. It's divided our heart. It's driven a wedge between us and God. There's only one way to peace, and that is through Jesus. Because he's the only pathway to the Father. And, And the Father, who is true life and truth, He's the only one that can bring peace. And so I I think now is the time that that we bring our troubles to Jesus. We're we're troubled by what's going on in our hearts. We're troubled by what's going on in our homes. If we're troubled by what's going on in the world, then now is not the time to go to another truth. Now is the time to draw near to the truth, Jesus. Now would be a great time to spend less time on social media and more time reading the Gospel of John. And as you read the Gospel of John, ask yourself one simple question. What does this show me about the Father? And how can I draw near to the Father who wants to bring peace? How can I nourish my soul on the Father? And the Father wants nothing more than to calm and quiet your souls. Uh, Whenever our kids were growing up, uh, sometimes we bottle-fed them. And I loved that because that gave me the opportunity to feed them whenever they were babies. And so what would typically happen was in the middle of the night, one of them would start crying and uh, Sherry would wake up first because I can't hear anything. And then she would wake me up and she'd say, one of the babies is crying. I'll say, I got it. So I'll go and I get a bottle and I would lay there in the middle of the night with the uh, lights out, feeding our child a bottle. And inevitably at the end of the bottle, it would be empty and the baby would be asleep in my arms. And I would just sit there and hold them. And I love to experience the joy of my children at peace. Calm, quieted, contented, safe, and secure. That's where the Father wants us. And he has gone to whatever lengths it takes to make it happen. He has given his only son for us. How will he not give us peace now? That's what he wants. He wants us to nourish our souls on him and be comforted through him and by him and his spirit. Jesus has provided the way, the truth, and the life so that we can come to the Father and find peace. What are you troubled with today? What are you troubled with tonight? There is nothing that is troubling you that God has not dealt with through the person and work of Jesus. When we pray, bring it to him. When we pray, confess it to him. If it's a sin, confess it. If it's anxiety, confess it. If it's just anger and frustration over the pandemic and politics, bring it to him and ask for his shalom to fill your heart through the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. Believe in God. Let's go to him right now and believe the good news that we just heard. Let's pray together.